Okay, so we're back on our uh, Smart Future podcast. We haven't done this for a while. We're honored today to have Miss Rachel Bondi from the Navy's PEOC 4I Cybersecurity Office, PMW 130. And uh, I think I'll let Rachel say a little bit about her background because she has a very different background from those who we find in most of these senior DOD positions. So Rachel, how did you get to this uh, place in your life from where you started? So um, I'm uh, an anthropologist first and I'm a technical anthropologist. So the roles that I've had have been doing people process and then technology. Um, I was hired here by uh, PM and DPM of 130. So uh, John Armantrout and uh, Wendy C. Catch call out to them uh, for, and, and then Becky Jones as well in um, Dr. Parker's office to pull in a completely different kind of mindset. Um, I have been in roles for sales, consulting, operations. I was in the um, program management office at First American Financial for their security. Um, I launched products with Microsoft. So um, our team's claim to fame were Xbox, Xbox Live, SharePoint, um, .NET Passport, and UVerse for AT&T, all of those Microsoft products. Um, I was at IBM doing Watson and Cognitive for what they call TMT, the telco media and technology company. So I had clients like Google, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and all of the media companies. So Warner Brothers, um, AT&T, uh, Disney, I mean, you, you name it. Um, and I worked at the, the largest Hollywood agency as well, um, deploying uh, what they called, you know, uh, forward-looking technologies. So um, uh, worked with a lot of Hollywood folks. I mean, you, you could name them and, and I've probably met them or, or done some sort of an app for them at some time. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting background here because here, um, I think what's needed uh, to be a technical director and to be doing what we're doing is to take all of those lessons learned from industry and then apply them specifically to Navy use cases. And so we did that this year. And in the one year that I've been here, our team has launched a new service to all of the uh, warfighters. And so I'm excited to say that, that we got through the acquisition process and and we're able to deploy something brand new, which I know you want to ask about. So, <laughs> so why don't we uh, carry on then? Uh, how are you working to enhance the Navy's uh, infrastructure for cybersecurity? So um, our team at 130, um, I always oversimplify it as we do tag hide and seek. So tag is that we are trying to do reach out and connect in um, DDL environments, uh, low or no bandwidth uh, available. So solutions have to be enabled to work in those environments with very little bandwidth. Um, the hide piece is that we do cryptography and encryption, which is mostly dictated to us by the NSA. So um, we're deploying those solutions. Um, and then the seek part is the meat uh, of what 130 does. And so that's where our team really dove in to try to understand how to use cyber data to defend Navy data. And to um, the cyber mission to me is um, to keep it, keeping people out, defending the network, but also if they're on, getting them out. 
So sometimes I liken that to the game of whack-a-mole, you know, that, that that's what we're trying to do in essence. And so the, the data fabric that, that we've put together here um, with the UPBDP uh, joint um, US Cybercom vision in mind is, is exactly that. It's to seek and then to find um, using the, the cyber data that we have. So um, I, normally what you do is tactical operations for the tactical ships now. Are you working to, to cross-connect the enterprise with the tactical? Yeah, we did that. So um, by uh, using the, the data fabric on the clouds that existed between AWS and Azure, uh, we were able to use the Azure environment to host UPBDP as a stack. And so our pilot, uh, we stood up in eight weeks um, for less than a, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And we demonstrated um, fully from end to end the ingestion of data from uh, our CSSP operations, our um, high performance computing and um, our Microsoft environment by keeping data where it was at, but then being able to do calls all the way from the Caspian Pigeon environment on the joint end from the user application side on the other side. So we were able to, as I, again, oversimplifying ingest process data and then take requests ingest process requests within the fabric in the pilot um, that we're now moving forward with to launch as, as production service. So, so Rachel, I, I had some background with BDP and, you know, 10th fleet doing, uh, doing some DMSS stuff, but, has there been some thoughts to actually figure out how much data you're actually going to ingest? Because what we found maybe five years ago, Splunk licenses for 500 gig was good enough. And then, you know, two years later, they're like, oh, we're downloading three petabytes. And, you know, I give you an example, I think like platform one is doing six petabytes a day. And then the Navy didn't realize, oh shit, we can't afford all this, these licenses yeah. to suck this much data. And, and well, so, so Go ahead. So that's that's the interesting thing is, and, and I'll, I'll explain it this way. The, the way that the deployment of UPBDP has happened in the other services is to take the stack of 45 different pieces of open source software and then put them on AWS. We've not done that. We've decoupled the environment so that we can take the key applications that Navy is being, is being told to use by US Cybercom and then simply do queries into data where it's at. So we can take feeds in, in the uh, API architecture. We can take feeds from Splunk. We can take feeds from our existing services. And then we can do queries into that off of the UP uh, application set. As long as we know which pieces of data that those particular applications need, all we're doing is doing um, scripts and configuration. And then the rest of it is on the native services that the cloud provider has. Much so if more, we bring much that more back out, Yeah, if we bring that back out to the ships, so for instance, on Kane's environment, you, aren't, you don't actually prevent intrusions into canes, right? You're monitoring to make sure there aren't intrusions. Is that correct? Well, I can't really go into exactly uh, the details on that, but let me say that uh, we're, we're, we're exploring the capability to have this work on the ships right now for the production environment. 
And it would be not only for identification, but for also, also remediation. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the thoughts, maybe you can elaborate is some of the same open source components that are in BDP are also in ACS and overmatch software armory. So, yes. so you could, you could take the BDP solution and really make it part of o OSA or ACS and put it on canes or shark cage or, you know, put it in a component that's afloat. Yeah. So, so hypothetically right now, again, what we're looking for is the data fabric. So we're looking for, again, the collections architecture, the ingest <laughs> is the most important piece of it. Seeing what data we have to make that available. And then uh, where we're processing that in the cloud native services right now allows us to, through the ADX, use uh, the data upon request, upon permission. So in our, our staging environment, our dev and staging environment, we can give access to scientists to, for example, get different applications out of the valley of death. That's our goal is we're setting up that workflow right now to be able to test, for example, MLAI. But from the OSDAA um, point of view, as a developer, it doesn't really matter what your uh, visualization tool of choice is. It could be Tableau, it could be Power BI, you could be a, a Python person all the way. Um, and using whatever tool is your choice for those visualizations, once you have access to the data, you can do what you want with it. And so that's part of why um, we can uh, accommodate multiple developer environments, including the UP JCC2 environment for the applications that are currently UP hosted in UP BDP stack. So if you want to, you can use those applications. If you don't like those, you can develop your own. Um, you can develop them in uh, the Microsoft AI application capability, whatever tool set you want to use once the data is made available. And by doing that decoupling, we've been able to actually focus on, again, just the mission of, of seeking. And then what people want to do with that data is up to them. That's an impressive setup that you got going on. I was happy to see that you said you're doing more of a search paradigm for the data rather than trying to collect all the data. And I've been critical of the, of the data pillar work that's going on right now because they tend to want to build a data lake and bring everything to the data lake, particularly on ships where we know we don't have very good bandwidth, yet we could be using technologies to search for the data and make it more of a, of a search paradigm than a data collection paradigm. Well, thank you for that. But we are working very closely with the DOD and with the Don's uh, chief data officer. And I, I have meetings weekly with them so that they can understand what sort of cyber data we're collecting. You know, the vision was INOX, uh, the, the integration for uh, support of cyber workloads. Um, but if you, if you take a look at what INOX was originally meant for, it, the concept was to make networks trusted again. And if you look at what Zero Trust is aiming for, it's that we don't trust the networks, we never will. And so what we're trying to do is that bridge in between. Uh, which is what, is what is the perimeter data telling us in that castle moat environment and how can we use that to anticipate what we need to move to as far as zero trust and how can we use the cloud environment 
uh, to be able to do the alignment of who has uh, permissions to that data itself to be able to make decisions and provide decision support visualizations. So um, actually what we've launched is sets us up for a zero trust future in this environment just for cyber data, which means that we can actually send data into the enterprise environment for their use cases. Uh, for example, asset management, contracts management, uh, assets associated per employee or whatever applications that they decide that they want to uh, used for their purposes. I'm glad you brought the zero trust up because now that it's a big presidential initiative and it's a big push across the DOD to push it down into our systems, one of the discussions I've had with uh, Stu Hall over in 160 about this is it, it's where we have a warfighting ship that has got to fight through uh, critical warfighting events, you may not be able to peg every operator to every device and put it into a zero trust environment and then be able to fight your way through that situation. So we've got to come up with a way to have some flexibility in the zero trust that makes sense for shipboard environments. Yeah, we just had that conversation. Um, Dr. Parker, Ted and Stu and I are all on, on board with um, the discussion of the alignment with the, the wider enterprise plan for Shoreside and how we would be able to apply that on, on the afloat networks. So it's in progress. So and, it's and, and very accelerated because of, of what we're doing, honestly. We're looking at just turning on features in the cloud and, and seeing if they work on ship. So, so Rachel, we have a lot of um, listeners that are, you know, from from the contractor world. What what are the opportunities for this new project? For you know, are, are you looking for technologies? Are you looking for you know, will there, will there be an RFP out to do a procurement? Are you looking at going faster through an OTA? You know, what is is there an acquisition piece of this? Yeah, so when I first came in, I was using every vehicle that I had heard about. So we, we had Antex, I have a Cibber, um, you know, working externally, I've been running hackathons. I worked with Hack the Machine. We have a, another hackathon event with NSIN, uh, which is part of uh, DIUX uh, coming up uh, next month um, for hacking solutions and, and bringing in new solutions. But until we had the environment set up for, uh, what I would call the dove staging environment to have a sandbox, um, we didn't have a methodology for the backlog of people who had solutions already. So now we have a way to start bringing in people. And, and I, I've gotten so many interested parties, a lot of PhDs who have developed things and, and worked on solutions, interested in getting access to the data. Um, we have scrub data, we have synthesized data um, that we can use now, um, which we didn't have on existing programs. You, you only had access to real data, which we didn't want to give people permission to. You don't want students and, and scientists playing on, on real Navy data. But now we, we have things that are simulated close enough where we can kind of see the value of some of the applications that have been developed. Um, and so again, creating that pipeline and that workflow is, is, is a job in itself. As, as you know, the valley of death is, is something that everyone's been trying to figure out. How do you conquer that? And we, we figured out a couple of methodologies. Um, I'm, I'm working with MITRE right now about how we can take MITRE developed solutions, put them into a SIBR and then bring the SIBR in 
to the environment so that we can um, accelerate some of these new solutions out to the warfighters. Um, as far as uh, the, um, the way that vendors can engage um, from, so, so I hate to say it, but I, I don't believe in the way that the other um, parties have uh, been stuck with a single vendor um, as a systems integrator for their UPBDP environments. And so what we've done internally is I've specifically developed our own bench of people and talent. I've identified people who have skills and have the passion to get this done. And as a small, I guess you would call them pizza teams in industry, you know, and the size of the team just to order a pizza or two is how we've been working for the whole year. And so my pizza teams right now are, um, are fine. And we haven't need to, needed to send anything out. We were using um, solutions that were around um, that people just hadn't fully deployed um, that are already ATO. And um, so that has uh, allowed us to be much faster. Um, the shark cage, as you know, is out to bid right now. And I can't really comment on that. We have a bunch of people responding to that bid right now. And, and whoever does win that, they will be, um, you know, part of this world when, when, when that happens um, sometime this year. Oh, thank so, you. Rachel, uh, we know that, we know that you, your 130 organization has been a leader in the AIML Challenge Awards. And we now have our own Margie Palmari over there as a deputy to the new chief digital AI office over in DOD. How do you think this, uh, what you're doing is gonna move forward relative to that AI work? So um, again, you know, my most recent work in AI uh, ML is in cognitive. So I headed the TMT solutions for Watson and for cognitive there. And I did a lot with games and, and media and entertainment solutions. Um, you know, things like how, how you decide what somebody needs to watch on TV or what movies need to be made based on what people are already watching and in a gaming environment, um, how to create new strategies and new things that you can upsell to people in a, in a live ops environment for games. Um, I, I like to think of um, this environment when I first came in, um, I, I kind of think of cyber and cyber warfare as a massive multiplayer environment uh, where you have a, a, a very large back end that has to be upheld and that there's a lot of data within the gameplay and you have coalition forces with different languages, assembling teams, disassembling teams in multiple locations to be able to play, play cyber uh, defense. Um, and, and so coming from that point of view externally, I've um, taken the Biden administration work and, and Jen uh, Easterly's work, and I've aligned it actually with Lisa Easterly in the CCOE in San Diego to create a um, new uh, place for us to join with the VR, AR, and games world to get their inputs into how they're using cognitive and machine learning for these large um, live operations environments. And so we're creating a work group around that locally um, and aligning those teams um, throughout the Department of Defense. Um, just for Spinnaker itself, which is uh, the Navy's version of 
uh, the UPBDP, um, you know about uh, Gabriel Nimbus and Elixir and Chaos and Acropolis and Caspian Pigeon are, are the other services versions of this. Just within our environment, like I said, we, we're pulling through these um, machine learning AI things um, and um, Splunk Phantom, by the way, won our last challenge for SeamSOAR. And, um, and we, we can take data from that environment and pull it into our, our data analytic uh, UP data node to be able to use it for these applications. So I think that there's a, a very large opportunity here. And again, I have a backlog of different people and scientists all interested in, and we're bringing them in to do uh, experiments right now. So no, no delay on that. Uh, I'm sure there will be <laughs> even more activity around that as the year goes on. Mm -hmm. Jim, did you want to ask about your DevOps? Yeah, um, just, just, just. I guess the you know we're we're doing some work with uh, Overmatch Software Armory, and you know we see we had some involvement with Platform One, but just connecting all the various Navy DevSecOps. Federated programs, Project Blue for the submarines, the Forge is the Aegis IWS effort, Overmatch Software Armory or ACS for you know the NIWIC NAV War World. It just seems like if you could connect all those together and collaborate, you know, and maybe maybe your work with Spinnaker is kind of the the common data store or the common test data because we're all struggling for data. Right. That's what I've heard. <laughs> and, um, and, and then yeah. you, know, you, you get into, I have another question about, you know, cross domain services. And I know 130 yes. has been the radiant mercury support, but thoughts maybe to open up 130 and support CDS across the board, just not radiant mercury. Cause there, as you know, there's more solutions out there today other than radiant mercury. Well, there's not a whole lot more as I understand it. After raise the bar, you're looking at probably six to eight real candidates. Um, one of those is the Azure CDS service, uh, which is built into Azure and can be activated for that. Um, within the UPBDP environment, they're using WoofDoor and we're looking at using that currently as well. But again, um, your question, so, so and again, I, I can't talk about a lot of the programs that you're mentioning, because yeah. they're definitely a secret and above. Yeah. But what I can say is this, we're in discussion with them, they're aware of what we're doing, and we're aware of what they're doing and what their need is. And we are aligned, um, we are not misaligned. I would say that, um, as we look at doing, uh, going from the Spinnaker U environment on class to Spinnaker S secret environment, there is a pathway that we are recognizing. Um, and some of those things that you mentioned are on the critical path for that, um, as far as uh, being able to supply the data that they're, they're looking for, very aware of that. Uh, but as I mentioned, when you decouple the, the um, ingest process and then the taking request piece of it from the requestors, it gives a lot more flexibility as to what the requestors can do uh, to maneuver more quickly with applications for their specific need set. Because what you're doing is you're saying, here's your menu, here's your restaurant menu of all of the data that you could have access to. And you tell us, who needs the access to that? And then we can provide just this and that for you off of the menu. Because maybe you don't want the entire menu from the restaurant. You only want the chicken dishes or you only want appetizers. 
And so that's that's the way we're proceeding with the data moving forward. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had Jason Schick on earlier last year with Confluent in the Kafka world and kind of you know educating the government that you can do publish and subscribe. Yes. So, so if I want to just use track data for you know for for MTC two, I can just subscribe to that data, which is published in your world. That's right. So Rachel, now that <laughs> you've been in this world, much, that's right. <laughs> yeah, now that you've been in this world for a little while to get your your feet wet, and and you're certainly making a difference in terms of making uh, the folks move a lot faster than I've seen in the past. What's your overall feeling about our cybersecurity posture across the tactical Navy? So I, I think that uh, what we have is a situation where the programs that exist are very good at what they do. And what they do is perimeter security. Uh, what we need to do is get formal requirements about what zero trust means to especially afloat but also on the enterprise side. And I think some of that has not been defined by its components. For example, you know, does CAC and PIP convert to some sort of a FIDO solution with WebAuth and CTAP? Does, uh, instead of VPN and network connectivity, do we, do we look at uh, using uh, 5G and satellite connectivity on, on board? and um, leapfrog some of the modernization efforts of, of the current networks. Um, do we need to look at any of that at all if we start to use virtual desktop um, and use the virtual desktop solutions to authorize per identity or per mobile device if they're on a certain domain? Um, I, I think the, uh, that all of that relates to um, going again from um, endpoint uh, perimeter to um, endpoints being the perimeter um, in a in a SASE model, secure access service edge model. So as as these new technologies emerge that are very commonplace in industry, you know I've been working in environments for ten years where you're not given a laptop, you're not using VPN, you're bringing your own device or or tablet, and that's how you work. They, they, you're not they're not providing you networks. But I can say that, you know, from a ship's point of view, we're never going to get there. Um, I, there's no commercial equivalent to, to shipboard networks that we have right now. They're shore side, absolutely. You know, do we want to look at Google, Microsoft, um, you know, AWS or some other Verizon as a provider and, and, and move off of what DISA has in place? That's something for they, them to consider. But I, I have not been able to find any vendors who are interested or would want to manage shipboard networks for us. It's just not something that people can profitably do and repeat with other clients. Well, thank you for that. We're coming upon our 40 minute timeline, uh, uh, so we probably ought to wrap it up. But I, I was glad you mentioned the LEO satellites because my view of the future world is when we have 40,000 LEO satellites running around up there, it's going to definitely change the nature of all of these um, platforms that run around the ocean or any other remote spot on the planet because it's a, a world we haven't had to, had to see before. So is there anything else you'd like to leave us with relative to What's going on for you? Yeah, so I'd like to say thank you for, for letting me come. You know, your, your last point about the satellites is significant. I would say containers as a service uh, and, and where we're heading with that on the development side is an important piece of that, along with 
uh, bandwidth utilization. Um, I just think that um, uh, I'm very pleased and honored to be part of my team and and I, I credit them and I thank them for the work that they've done uh, this year and, and what we're doing through through the coming year to deliver this to the warfighters because I mean that's the point is is not falling behind um, and being able to match our um, competition uh, as is said um, with uh, you know, with things much more immediately and with a sense of urgency and resiliency that uh, we, we deserve for, for cyber defense. So glad to be part of it. Yeah, Rachel. You have anything else you want to say, Jim? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I just say thank you. And I just, you know, just what I'm seeing the other services, you know, the video is kind of a better communication path to get your point across. So would love to do more of these or a series or a workshop or a panel just to get into some debates because a lot of like as Marv said a lot of the new technologies are gonna we're just gonna do things differently and that some of that old school thought has to get washed away so thank you no thank you guys and uh I look forward to uh to the future as long as they let me right <laughs> as long as I didn't misspeak on this one <laughs> thanks again Rachel we look forward to talking to you again in the future okay thanks a lot bye Marv bye Jim bye.